All right. When did we try and do this last? Um, it's been far too long, isn't it? We tried to do this when you were in Nashville. It's like August. Dude, it's so good to have you back. It's been literally two years since we've seen each other. It has. It has been two years. I know. It's been too long. Crazy. Your parents must have missed you like crazy as well. Parents missed me for sure. I got to sneak up on them at the airport, so that was fun. Um, but yeah, two years have been way too long to be away from everyone. Well, it's good to, good to have you back. I've, I've genuinely wanted to do this for ages. There's a load of my people who already know who you are, obviously. I hit up Discord before this. You've got a ton of questions. Okay. I don't even know where to start. I mean, for people listening, Ollie's been my best mate since we were in school. We've gone through plenty of adventures together, plenty of tours. Yeah. And this, I think this episode, of all the things I do know about you, I think the thing I'm proudest about is how you've kind of risen specifically in the music industry to now being, I know you find it weird when I say this, essentially one of the kind of biggest management teams in the world now. You're with CTK now, right? Mm-hmm. And you're taking care of a whole array of different artists. You've got Dolly Parton on your books. You're traveling around the world. You're doing all this stuff. And you came from like really kind of humble backgrounds. Mm. You've been working on films. You've been involved in stunt work. And as I start to unpack this all for, for the countless questions that I'm going to start throwing you away, I'd, I would love it if you introduce yourself a little bit in terms of who you are and uh, what's your name? Where'd you come from? <laughs> so, yes, obviously I'm uh, Ollie Rowland. Um, I've uh, been friends with Mark since we were about 11, 11 or 12 when we uh, started senior school. Um, and yeah, so while, when everyone was going off to university, when we finished school, I wanted to, obviously, as you know, wanted to be a stuntman, was adamant about it since I was 14, uh, mainly because of the James Bond films was the big the big influence. Um, and then, yeah, I, everyone went off to uni. I was like, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this a go. I'm going to go throw myself off, a, off of horses. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go crash cars and... And and see what happens see and what hurt happens, myself yeah. in the film industry. So so that was the plan. So I started training and, and figured all that stuff out. And I, I emailed kind of constantly all the stunt coordinators in the UK. Just, I'll come work for free. I'll be the T-boy, whatever. Get myself there, get myself home again. I just want to come and learn. And then um, finally I got a reply from uh, Steve Dent, who'd, who had been a stunt coordinator on Gladiator. Um, a huge stunt coordinator. Uh, you know, I, I work with him on a lot of you know Marvel films and and. And did you did you know of him before you were like working, looking to work in the stunt industry? Because if if I rewind back, I remember your hustle was quite early on. You were just emailing tons of people, but did you see like a film and you thought, right, that's a stunt coordinator I want to reach out to? Was there a so yeah, backtracking back a bit, then it wasn't Steve. It was actually a stunt coordinator called Vic Armstrong, mm. who was a huge stunt coordinator, one of the you know most well-known stuntmen in the world. He was Indiana Jones's, um, sorry, Harrison Ford stunt double on Indiana Jones on That's Star cool. Wars. He was uh, Superman's stunt double in the original Superman's, like absolute original badass, mm. cool guy. And he was doing a talk up at the uh, IMAX theater back in like twenty fifteen, fourteen, fifteen. And so my dad saw it and took me down there and I met him afterwards and that was it then. I was hooked. So he got me into it and then just Googling and finding all the different stunt coordinators mm. and finding their websites and trying to find their contact info. That's how I so, got hold of Steve eventually. But like for people listening, what was it about being a stuntman? Why, why did you, what was it that drew you in? James Bond, it was all James Bond, literally just watching James Bond films and I loved I loved all the action side of it. I thought it was so cool. The car chases, mm. the fights. I thought it was all amazing. And um, 
and also at the time when you know when we were finishing school and going through sixth form college and stuff i was doing a lot of drama and acting and i enjoyed acting and so there was a bit of me was like well maybe this is my calling in life my, well my, like my back you know getting in through the back door if you will mm. into acting you know by doing stunts then being a stunt actor which is kind of a, a now i know a much rarer job or position um and then going into uh, acting so that was kind of in the back of my mind but but uh, also you were just a bit of a nutcase from day one i mean i've always enjoyed you know i always enjoyed doing the the crazy fun stuff i remember on holiday when we when there was a, a bush about whatever 20 foot tall and you thought i'm gonna climb the bush and jump in the pool do you remember that and we thought ollie this is the moment that ollie's gonna break his back i, I remember and i was naked as well i think yeah, <laughs> I used to get naked a lot, and I don't know why. But yes, I do remember that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I and I think that when you know one of the one of the most common questions on the Discord was essentially what's it like being a stuntman. So maybe you can fill in a few gaps, but you've worked on so many films, and I know, I know in various different capacities. But I remember you doing like Harry Potter. You did the Warhorse stuff, mm-hmm. Guardians of the Galaxy, mm-hmm. big names, and one of the common questions is. Just what's what's it like? What's it like being on set on those big films? What's it like doing stunts in those films? Like, give us the it, yeah. I mean, I've been incredibly lucky. Um, so back, yo. Know, so when I first got that email from Steve Dent, he was on uh, Robin Hood, uh, Russell Crowe's Robin Hood, and mm. he said, "You know, come on down for the day." A day turned into a week, and then that turned into years of being paid to to do it and so you started off doing it for free essentially yeah started yeah, off yeah. yeah started off doing it for free like i said i contacted him saying i'll be the t-boy i'll clean crash mats mm. i'll do whatever i just want to learn and so I, I did that for a week and then he said well do you want to stay on and work as like a horse groom mm. um and i knew nothing about horses so i did and i started learning that and then um started going through all the horsey side of things so he had like some of the stunt boys teach me how to ride and i did that daily so you basically went, I'm just going to learn whatever I need to learn for this, no matter what it was. And yeah. What What do you say to people, just as a little bit of a side rail debate, what do you say to people who say you should never go into an artistic industry and work for free? You should never do it. Wrong. <laughs> yeah, all right. But like, because obviously there's a lot of debate in that situation, especially with music, especially in, in my yeah. world. And it must be the same with actors. It's like you know you should have uh what do they call the you know the 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 unions and stuff where you should just never go and do jobs for free but for you it seems to have been pretty much the staple route well, of like i think um i mean this is a prime example i worked for free for 5 days and mm. then i was put on payroll it you know as soon as you you need that um little gap in the door mm. to prove yourself look i'll come work for free i'll get myself there i'll get myself home again i'm no hassle literally I'm you're gaining an asset mm. and it's going to cost you nothing because you were living and, in a beat up caravan at the time that you got for like 100 quid away. Well, no, well, yeah, at the time I was driving back and forth like three hours in the morning. I remember from my yeah. parents' house to get the other side of the M25 mm. and I'd, to make sure I was there early so I was never late. So I'd always be first one at the film yard where they were mm. rehearsing. Um, so I'd leave kind of 4 30 in the morning and make sure I was ready for 7 30 when everyone else arrived. Um, I did that every day. And then <clears throat> what job did I buy that caravan on? Maybe it was Robin Hood. Maybe it was Robin Hood. The, t- towards the end of Robin Hood, I bought an old caravan for 250 quid that was damp and leaky and whatever. Mm. And I towed it behind my little Ford Fiesta. I remember, yeah. <laughs> um, and that, so I stayed in that. So then I could get a little bit more rest because yeah. I was definitely, that drive was annoying. Well, also, I think that, that that's an interesting picture to paint 
and it will become more relevant, I think, as, as this podcast mm. goes on of, of where you've ended up because even that age, you just had no qualms. I remember you getting an email at like eight o'clock when we were like playing. You were around, Super, my, you were around yeah, my house. Yeah. Playing like Super Mario Kart or something and someone's like, can you be in wherever the fuck at like 4 a.m. and you were like, Yep. That, that was Steve Dent. That, that was that was first, that, yeah, 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 that, was, was, that first yeah. one. You and Louie were around my house and we were playing computer games and I yeah. checked my email and I think it was late. I think it was like 10, 11 p.m. And he's like, can you be at Pinewood Studios at 5 a.m. the next, that coming day? So and it was Sunday night. When, yep, all right. I judged <laughs> you guys gone. out. Yeah. I quickly got a few hours sleep and then off I went and, and, and that was it. That's how it all started. So then I guess, I guess that takes us into the, the question. So many people like, What's it like? I mean, Guardians of the Galaxy, Harry Potter, these these sets. What's it? Does it ruin the magic a bit? Being behind the scenes, what's the vibe there? No, uh, I I was so excited to do the Marvel films. I so Iron Man, uh, I'd seen when that came out. I think two thousand eight, two thousand and nine, um, and I was hooked then on the Marvel mm. films. And I was like, I'd love to do those. Love to do that. I mean, it's up there with James Bond for me. Um. And so they kept coming out, and then I did Robin Hood with Steve, and then went straight on to um, what do we do after that? I think it was Warhorse next, and so that was like a two year period. That was two thousand nine, two thousand ten. Then towards the end of two thousand ten, Steve had Captain America, and it overlapped with Warhorse. So he started on Captain America, and I was so what are you kind of like doing. Do you get? You do both, do you? So the same team sometimes overlap on different films? Kind of, yeah. Steve had his horse department on War Horse, but his stunt department were on oh, Captain okay, America. Oh, right, gotcha. Um, and so I was on War Horse in the horse department uh, working there, and then Steve pulled me onto Captain America, and I was over the moon about that. It was amazing. Mm. It was I was so happy to be doing that. And and no, it, it's, if, any, if anything, it makes it, even more enjoyable to then watch the films. It mm. doesn't ruin it at all. I mean, because and, you I mean, see the, just the sheer amount of stuff that's going on behind the mm. scenes to make a simple shot look. And well, just to be involved in it was awesome. Yeah. Like just the costumes or the weapons or the whatever it was we're doing um, was just awesome. Yeah. And I loved it. I was in awe of it. And and also, I mean, there may be some of the uh, the other stunt guys who've been doing it who, who are still doing it now and did it a lot longer than I ever did. Um, who would maybe disagree, you know, just because they're so used to it now, it's just another job. Uh, and I kind of see where that comes from on some things, but Marvel specifically for me was amazing. That the one to, to do. Oh, that was for sure. So I was lucky enough to do Captain America, uh, the second Thor film and Guardians of the Galaxy, and it was, they were all awesome. I mean, one question from Roxy that sounds like it might be tricky to answer. What was the favourite for you, to, like to work on? Your favourite film that you were part of? Hmm... Uh, Harry Potter? No, no, I did well. Harry Potter. I was a glorified extra on that. I, you know, I, I got to ride a broomstick in a Quidditch match on the, I think the third one. I think Prisoner of Azkaban. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that, I mean, that was amazing for sure. Mm. That was max. I'm a huge Harry Potter fan as well. Yeah. So that was awesome. But no, for me, probably Captain America, the first Marvel film I did. Just I got to do so much. I got to work with some great people. You got um, smashed with the battery? Did you? That was Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, right, yeah. No, Cap- Cap- I can't Cap- keep my head straight in Marvel Cap- films. Captain America, I got smashed with his shield in the face uh, a lot. Um, <laughs> Do you get paid each time you get hit, though? Uh, the second part you get paid yeah. for. I-, I went into a jerk back, which is where I had a wire attached to me, and I had three guys on a pulley system who then jump off a high platform to make me go flying backwards when he And what one is, what me. film is that? Which the one? first Captain America. 
I guess there's going to be people listening who are going to know exactly what scene that is. There's, but, there's, yeah, there's a bit where Captain America's hidden in the back of a military truck. Um, and I was the Hydra, the bad guy, who lifted up the the back of the truck to look in and, and check what was going on in there. And Captain Erica pops me in the face with his shield and I go flying backwards nice. into a wall, I think, or whatever it was. Well, this is the thing that I was in awe of when you were in that uh, industry and you were doing those things is like the, the legit danger that you genuinely have to go through. Like you were saying how maybe it was War Horse where you had to literally fall off a horse maybe God knows how many times a day. And it was just like... I don't know how people do that without breaking their back. Oh, did I did I, I did I did a fair bit of that on Outlander. Um, I think I did some on Snow White and the Huntsman as well. Um, yeah, I mean the, a lot of the boys, and I'm you know I'm rubbish compared to some of the boys who they used to do it at stunt shows around mm. the country where they basically got paid in beer and would do it three times a day, and they Jesus. grew up doing it. And those guys now are just insane. There's a group of brothers over here, um, the Cox brothers, who are just the best of the best of the best that those guys can i've seen them do some incredible things with horses um and it's it's insane yeah i mean essentially once you get the right technique and you know mm. you just got to keep your momentum keep rolling basically keep rolling is the is the main yeah, thing yeah, yeah. they tell you just keep rolling and you'll be all right so just keep rolling keep drinking and keep drinking that's keep, all we did yeah that's keep, all we did with the horse department. Yourself up, yeah we just drunk a lot in the evenings got up early and rode horses so no it was it was uh it was definitely fun but um yeah, you get bit, you get bit, bit beaten up for sure, and that's kind of half the reason. I mean, also, you know, being diabetic, my body doesn't heal as quickly as as necessarily other people's yeah. do, and so towards the end of. But that never got in your way no. when it came to. Oh, never stopped me doing yeah. anything. No, but I mean, it was definitely one of the things in my head when I was kind of looking at other other jobs and other you know mm. starting to think. I mean, there was two. So there was two things. The one thing that triggered in my head was I did two weeks on a film where I get there early every morning, get in a costume. I was getting spray painted blue, I think. Um, and we sat around all day. We didn't step foot on set. We, mm. we weren't needed. And we'd go home again at the end of the day. And we did it for two weeks. And I started thinking... What, and the majority of the time you weren't even... I didn't get called on the set for two weeks. There Jesus. was a group of us. There was a group of probably about 20 of us. So you'd go in in the mornings. Why Why would they do the whole makeup? They go through the whole process. That's a lot of money. You've got mm -hmm. people doing their costumes a whole lot. A team of you. Just in case they needed it. And that's just... And that's the level of... Just in the, case. Yeah. Just in case. Yeah. And that's the kind of budgets they have. It was nothing for them yeah. to keep 20 stunt guys on standby. Did that not screw with your head a little bit, though, as well? Well, that was one of the things I was like this seems like a waste of time mm. in regards to like, I loved doing the film, but in regards to like time, looking at your life mm. and how much time you have in that, I've sat on a studio back lot for two weeks and mm. done literally nothing. Well, one of the things, if I take myself back, that start, this might, might've been one of the early signs that started to segregate your path and where you've ended up now. Because mm. I remember those times when you were sitting around, you know, like quote unquote doing nothing, you just started to piece together like, well, okay, well then how do departments talk? Like, how mm -hmm. does that work? You started mm -hmm. to talk to people and you started to be like, oh, okay. And you started to essentially get the lay of the land of how yeah. production like that would, yeah. would work. And then it's so funny how that comes full circle because you then end up, uh, and we'll kind of talk about your journey of it, you then end up working in music management mm -hmm. with no concept that all of those skills from those early days, I mean, they're pretty much... Copy and paste. Yeah. <clears throat> so 
Yeah, so I went up to, uh, I finished Guardians of the Galaxy and I went up to a TV series called Outlander, mm. um, which is a huge series now. And I, I went up to Scotland to start prep on that and start teaching the actors to ride and fight. I was working with a, uh, a really cool stunt coordinator called Dominic. Um, and I, he asked me to be department coordinator. Mm. So that's more like the office side of things, booking all the stunt guys, making sure everyone's got what they need. They're going where they're they need to be at the right times mm. going to costume fittings and all that kind of stuff so i was doing that as well as doubling two of the main actors as their stunt doubles and their riding doubles um and teaching all the actors to ride so it was kind of the two of us for a while is that where you did a day with ed with ed sheeran no that was that was a bit later on that was um, maybe a couple of years later on another show called the bastard executioner that's the one. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was so. That was a bit later on. So yeah, Outlander was first. So that was where I started. Was he, was he good though? Did he learn how to ride? Or were you not teaching him? Yeah, we did. Think. We taught Ed, Ed to ride a horse, and he was awesome. He was yeah. the most chill dude. He was so like he turned up. We kicking a football around in the car park mm. over at the studios for out um, for. So he always seems TV like X. he's too nice. That guy. He was genuinely. <laughs> he was lovely. He was. He was taking the Mickey out of himself when we were running yeah. up and down these sand dunes in in uh, West Wales or South Wales. And uh, he's, you know, getting very tired, as mm. you, as everyone was. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and he's like, I really need to take a break. Like, if it, making fun mm. of himself. He, no, lovely, lovely chap. Lovely chap. Um, yeah. So, but that was, so that was another, that was, that was my next big job. So mm. I did Outlander. I did a couple of, se- a couple of episodes of that. Um, and then I actually moved over to another company, the Devil's Horseman. Went out and did some Game of Thrones stuff with them, with the horses. Um, and then did quite a few films and tv things with them um what what was it like on game of thrones i mean i know i asked you that about the other ones but mm. that specifically like there's going to be a lot of fans of that show okay. we're going to want to know what it was like. cold and set. wet yeah. so i always seem to get unlucky with it i so there's kind of two or three main places they shoot there's mm. northern ireland which is where the main studios are in belfast uh and then they go out to hungary i believe and spain mm. where it's night for all the sunny stuff where all the sunny stuff shot and you were like in in like dagenham around the corner or no i was always in belfast <laughs> right. in winter or spring yeah so i was just wet and cold uh, yeah. for the times i was out there who, who were you fighting for the 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 northerners or uh yeah i was in what did i what they call, i'm trying to remember what they're called you got the, the armies haven't you you got, well, the, you got the lannisters yeah. and i wasn't that i was um the ones in the cold i did a bit of everything you know i did the uh I think I did the the who are the war watchers the um yeah that's who I'm trying to think of the guys John Snow he John he Snow's the, lot when he was up at the wall yeah um mental block now isn't it? I was one of his lot and then I was one of the lot as well that worked that worked that came from the Iron Islands and then um I had a few different costumes sometimes I didn't even know I just go and put a costume on and get on the just horse. take an arrow or something yeah yeah I yeah. don't even know what you're doing I'm just like yeah whatever put the costume on and ride the horse from here to there and. And that's it. So, but no, it was, that was fun. It's, and for me, and funny enough, I was talking to some, I met up with some of my filming guys the other day, mm. my old filming mates, and we were talking about that. And it's not necessarily the filming is fun. And a lot of time the filming sucks. Mm. Long hours, not comfortable. Uh, it, you know, it's not always amazing or fun or glamorous, but it's the people that make mm. it. And, um, you know, I've made some great friends filming that, like I said, I've just met up with a load of them over in Wales where some of them live. And it was the after, the after party, if you will. Mm. So you finish shooting, you know, you'd chuck the horses back in their stables or you hand your car keys back or whatever you've been doing that day. Yeah. And then you go to the hotel bar or to a pub and you drink and you have laughs and you have banter with everyone and 
Mickey taking, whatever it is, and you stay up late and then you go to bed and you get four hours sleep and you're up again, rinse, doing wash, repeat, again. doing it all again. And so it was that that part of it. And that I miss now, like hanging out with those guys. Mm. I was like, yeah, I, I miss that. That was that was fun. But I prefer what I do now for work, for sure. Well, that starts to bring us into this transition because you know you go from i remember you were like working with animals at, at the time you you took kind of essentially any job you could get your hands on you were working on like a pig farm one time you're doing some well, horse raising the other time you're doing you know delivery driving another time and you were just like juggling anything you could get your hands on to get you through this stage of your life right so <clears throat> yeah so what kind of happened was um so i've been doing loads of filming stuff um and then at the same time, kind of four years in-ish, I guess, four or five years in, I then went out with you, obviously, mm. and started, you know... I think, and that's I fin- where it all went wrong, isn't it? That's where, that's where it all went <laughs> yeah. tits up. No, well, I started... I just finished season four Game of Thrones. It was yeah. my first time, so I just moved to the Devil's Horseman. Mm-hmm. That was my first job with them. Um, and it was the following spring, following January. And I, I didn't have anything booked. And mm. you were going on tour. And we'd not hung out properly properly like for a prolonged period because i'd yeah. been away filming so much and the the job was like we need someone that can just drive the van and help and you were like well i could probably handle that considering you've been figuring out every job and riding horses and figuring out how departments work we thought yeah all right so you thought i'm going to take a hand at do doing that. tour <clears throat> tour management yeah i mean well i didn't really know what it was but mm. you were terrible at getting anywhere, anywhere on time yeah, yeah. and um, changed now though i'm a little bit better now well yeah <laughs> um, debatable um and and it sounded fun. I was like, yeah, I'll come hang out with my mates. Mm. Um, so obviously you and your brother, you know, I'm good friends with as well. So that it was a no-brainer to me. Mm. I think I had two or three weeks off, so I went off on tour with you. And I really enjoyed it. And that's where I started realizing, that's where I started realizing that actually with the stunt stuff, um, I missed thinking. Like problems, I guess problem solving more mm-hmm. specifically. Um, to me, that was, I was like, well, this is actually quite fun. And it was around the same time I started department coordinating as well. So I was jumping between the two different mm. jobs, um, depending on who called me first, whether you had something for me to do or... Um, well, also, or when, you're, when you're on the film sets, I can only imagine with something like Game of Thrones or... or you, I can imagine you've got so many different parts. They've got to be in so many different places, so many different times to, to try and get that right with the logistics of like getting animals in places, the whole, the whole for, yeah, thing. Yeah, I mean, was... for me, the biggest the biggest department coordinating I did was the horse department for the Bastard Executioner, which yeah. is where I met Ed Sheeran and, and whatever. I was with my mate Adam. He was horse master for it. And um, yeah, I mean, I think we had... Our biggest day was probably 80 horses and 80 riders plus stunts. But then it's not just that. So you've got to get all your riders. They've all got to come for costume fittings before you start shooting Mm -hmm. and and makeup fittings and all that kind of stuff. Um, You've got to make sure you've got 80 horses. Mm. Then you've got to make sure each of your riders has the right horse for them because some riders we have are amazing. You can put them on any horse. Some riders we've got are... You know, not so much. I probably come under that category as well. Yeah. And you need to give them a slightly safer, more experienced horse. Um, and then you've got lorries and lorry drivers because you yeah. can get eight to ten, maybe twelve horses on a lorry, depending on the size of it. So you need to have enough lorries for it mm-hmm. and the drivers. And then Bang you need to make sure yeah. at the drivers' hours are they going yeah, to get yeah, to yeah, where yeah. they've got to go, and then do a full day filming and drive back. Probably yeah. not. So do we need a second driver? All that stuff. Then hotels and and so it's all this stuff. And how how was it for you? Because you're you're sitting there, you've got a lot of downtime. You're on the jobs. You're starting to piece together the departments and what does what. 
how how was it when you actually were in the hot seat and then all of a sudden it was on you how did it feel for you when when the weight really was on your shoulders and these big budget things and tours and stuff they started to become actually like your responsibility you know what i love it i absolutely love it it never it's never bothered me at all um and i don't know why i is it because you're a bit of a control freak <laughs> Because I say that in a in a joking way, but you're actually not really. Or maybe it's because you would, if it's going to be anyone's responsibility, you'd probably rather it be yours. So at least, if it does go wrong, you. It's more if I'm put in charge of something, or more if I'm involved with anything, I want to make sure it's perfect. Mm. So even if I'm not in charge of it, and that's where I could definitely come across as a control freak. Mm. If I've got someone you know above me, and I don't think they're doing a very good job, I will definitely try and take charge. And for the sake of the production. For the sake of whatever job I've been tasked with. Because yeah, I don't yeah. like failing at anything. Yeah. I've never liked failing and I still don't like failing. And so mm. I will always do, you know, my, you know, in film and in touring, mm. you know, the, essentially the show must go on. So it doesn't matter if a problem crops up, no matter how big or small it is. I've always had the mindset that, well, there has, we, we have, that we, the only solution is mm. finding a solution. So people, whether whether it's like musicians getting into the game, whether it is people looking to get into management specifically, I mean, what kind of advice do you have on those early days when you when you first started doing the the little baby tours and the first little things of, of going around the country? What what do you think the key bits of advice for people looking to get into the like management of artists industry? Knowing what I know now, I mean, obviously, there's plenty of new bands, baby bands that you can just offer to go out and help tour manager because you want to learn mm. um i'd offer to go and ghost or shadow a um a tour manager and see you know if you know reach out to some find them see if you can go you know if they're doing an arena show go mm. and shadow them and the one thing i realize now is as well to not be daunted by the size of a venue you know i remember my first big show i totally blagged was wembley arena I remember, yeah. And I jumped from your shows that at the time were like 150, 200 caps yeah. to Wembley Arena. And although, you didn't shit yourself a little bit? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I did that day. I I mean, it, it didn't help. The whole thing was pretty disorganized already. You know, I came in late in the mm. day. Uh, I was called in late when they decided they needed someone to, to tour manage on the day. Mm. And a lot of things have been missed. There was no proper plan. It it wasn't great. Well, because you always assume, or at least most people would assume if they go to, you know, a Wembley arena or an O2, you just assume that everything's going to be perfect. But Yeah, it was not. Yeah. I wouldn't I have a mess. And then, and that actually is a good example where the production manager kept going to sleep on the, on the sofa in the production office and didn't seem bothered at all. And I'm like, well, we have two support acts that need to sound check or line yeah. check. And then we need to do this. We need to do this. Why? And no one else seemed to really care. Mm. And so that's where I started. All right, fuck it. I'm, I'll start doing your job then. If you're going to have a sleep in here on the sofa, I'll start getting the the support band sound checked. And we had like the NHS choir and all this stuff and, and trying to bring it all together. I got, we had 450 meet and greets to go through, but no one had planned how they were going to do 450 meet and greets and how long that would take. Um, and and I did all of this on the day, and you know I was I was at Wembley for eighteen hours that day. I walked, I think it was like twenty one miles, walked slash jogged around Wembley. Um, but the, the whole reason I'm, I'm saying all this is that made me realise 
that whether it's 200 cap venue or 20,000 cap venue, it's just how many miles everything's the same. Yeah. Everything's the same. Small also, bands need to line check and sound check. The main act needs to have priority, make sure they're happy. Their band need to sound good and they need to have a nice dressing room. And then your meet and greets need to be sorted and on time so everything runs the schedule. You need to have a schedule and that's it. And then you just scale it at that point. It's just scaling. It's okay, I need more people and more stuff. And also people notice. Like, what do you mean? In the sense that when you were doing that, the people around you, the teams, the technicians, the promoters, yeah. the people noticed that you did stuff that you were in, in control yeah and you know i remember on the tiny tours that we did and you know when you bring up the wembley thing is a, yeah. a perfect example because even though you are you get so uh, so much weight on your shoulders and that everything can get really stressful on tour can't it mm. you got lighting engineers sound engineers patching stuff recording stuff live yeah. tv you know tv people cameras meeting greets all this stuff and you're like you're buzzing because you're juggling all these plates but you still were always like mega polite to everyone you met mm. and everyone that would always say you know, when people needed to rely on someone, even to this day in the context that I have, like in my world, people know you because it's like, get Ollie on it because you yeah. give a shit and actually do it as opposed to the guy who is sleeping on the on the sofa. Mm. And, you know, when I talk about you where uh, to, you know, sometimes if people ask me for advice about stuff when it comes to management, it's why it's actually really good to do this podcast. We've wanted to do this for a while. Yeah, It's like, I think that your success is no no luck involved because every venue you went to you went to find out who was running the venue who was the mm -hmm. owner who was the booker who was the promoter mm -hmm. you met them you shook hands and the industry is small man like we know that we know that now but for people getting into it the industry is so small and when when people see someone who's competent and someone who does take the responsibility to organize a show to make an art to look after an artist one day you get a call well, you know the next minute you're one minute you're doing a, a o2 academy for 200 people and mm. the next minute it's like yeah i know a guy that could do that and then you're in wembley arena mm -hmm. that i think is such a great story for for your journey specifically but also for, for when people think about getting into the industry you've got no idea how important it is to meet people be polite make I, connections for sure i mean i'd i'd be half tempted to say one of my strongest uh, attributes is is networking and being able to talk to people and befriend people and realize, you know, I hope it doesn't sound bad, but realize who the important people are that mm. I need to befriend who mm. are going to be able to help me with something in the future or at that point mm. at that moment. Um, but like what you're doing now, you're also constantly extending favors to people in your circles where you're helping people around you as well so it's like oh, yeah. it's, a, it's a it's a constant oh it swings around about you know people you're not going to be able to get far if all you do is ask everyone for stuff and you don't yeah. offer anything in return um and i'll always make sure you know and i'll always make sure i touch base with my network even mm. if someone i've not worked directly with for a period of time i'll still reach out to them and just check in how they're doing because you never know when you are going to need a favor mm. uh, or if they need a favor you know you know always you know i'll always end a text with give me a shout if you need anything mm. always you know, to, to most people I speak to. Um, so yeah, networking is hugely important and, and getting to know, and it, you know, it's how I've kind of ended up where I am now was through a long load of twists and turns of doing a showcase with you guys. Well, no, doing a support tour with you guys. Mm. The promoter rep on that tour happened to be Dolly Parton's production manager. That's right. Who yep. then happened to want to set up a showcase for you uh, with Dolly's manager when they were in town in mm -hmm. 2014 at the O2 Arena. The legend, the main man, Danny Nozell. Danny Nozell, exactly, who mm. I now work for. Um, and that's how I met him. Mm. And, you know, and, and... And it was years after that that you ended up actually mm -hmm. getting a job. 
Because mm-hmm. that's, I guess, that's another thing. People like Danny, they're always sitting on the sidelines, probably watching how your stuff panned out. You ended up going to Vegas. You were running residencies. Yeah. You've, you just, it's actually, impo- it's going to be impossible. We're going to have to do another podcast on all these different things because it's like. There's a few, s- isn't there? There's a few. I think, well, we can cover music. Well, maybe cover music. But yeah, we've got the stunt stuff and the adventure stuff and. Well, I'm I, in I mean, this particular one. You guide me. You guide yeah, me where I, you want to go. I will because because when it comes to music, you know, I think as this podcast is developing, one thing I'm realizing is there's a lot of people who are interested in music. Yep. Obviously, as an independent artist, understanding like how do the nuts and bolts of it go, uh, but specifically when it comes to management, I mean, look, I, I mean, I'll get my phone out again in a minute and go through some more of the questions that mm. came through Discord. Uh, but here's a common one that I get: uh, How do I get a manager? Like you, like you, for example, you know, you've got a new artist, new band, they're just starting out and they're like, look, we need a manager to become successful. Like, how do we get a manager? Um, I think you honestly need to look at yourself and look at what your act is. Um, if you've just written 10 songs and you're, you've got a while to go. Um, you know, one thing I've learned recently, relatively recently is you need to keep writing and writing and writing and writing and writing as an artist and then write some more and you're still not going to be at the top of your game. You've got to keep writing and writing and writing. You have hundreds of songs, you know, um, you know, Dolly will say, you know, she'll write three songs a day and she reckons one in every 60 songs she writes is, is worth releasing. Mm -hmm. Um, and even of those, even for Dolly, even at that game, Mm -hmm. It's probably one in sixty of those that become worldwide superstar yeah, smash. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's fifty nine that she never see, mm. you know, never see the light of day or, or whatever. And you know, even with you, you've done it before. You mm. know, you wrote a couple of hundred songs before um, running underwater, mm. and it's and that's what needs to be done. So if you've just written your ten, twelve songs, you think you've got your little tour, and you're going off to fifty cat venues, you know, it's mistakes we've done. Yeah, yeah. We, you know, and it's how you learn. It's how you, you know, you, sh- you know, you, you sharpen your teeth and whatever. So what do you think? does constitute a position in a career to start getting the attention of someone like yourself or someone in your team or other managers that you're rubbing shoulders with? What What is it that it makes can, you go, yeah, I'm in here? It can be two things. It can be great songs, and I mean great songs, mm. uh, and you can send you know, you know, send out some demos or whatever to, to management companies mm. if you're confident that, well, I've written a hit here. But you only get one shot at it. Like if you send me an email and or Danny or whoever – and we're just like, uh, you know, it's just we'll send a polite reply back, and mm. that'll be the end of it. Probably won't open another email from you again. Mm. So <clears throat> you need to make sure that you're very confident with that song. Shoot your shot. And and almost, I'd say you don't listen to your friends and family. You don't show them mm. because they're going to be biased. You need to go out and test it and on random people and, and, and do it that way to figure out. I mean, you know when you've written a, a great song. And then the second thing is you just work at it and you slog at it and you build your socials up. You know, well, that's something we look at now. It's part of the world we're in, mm. seeing your streams and your socials. Um, I think there's a lot less management companies looking for brand new artists mm-hmm. who have done nothing um, unless they are super talented. Mm super talented um and already written some amazing songs or they see some sort of spark that they can utilize i think you know and not butt kissing but using you as an example and you know what we did and what you've done since obviously we kind of i wasn't working with you for a while and and then we've come back together again um 
and that wasn't because anything bad happened. It was because I was on another job. But well, um, I mean, you you ended up taking on a residency in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. It was an opportunity you yeah. can pass down, and look at what you achieved there. I mean, it's almost that's something we could almost pick up on itself. But you know, you were in the entertainment capital of the world, mm. competing on the Las Vegas Strip. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I, I'll just finish that la- that last point. Like, um, if you create a spark then a management company can put fuel on that spark and blow it up. Mm. Um, you know, so like you have done, you've got 50 million streams across all your digital, uh, you know, all your DSPs. You've, you know, you've got great following on socials. You've built, you've built a business mm. that makes money as a totally independent artist. And you've gone and learned all the different things. You've got your head screwed on. You're essentially self-managed. Um, and then what we bring to the table is the big boys and the yeah. and the big gas tank to light that fire. Well, I, I, I because you've already made the spark. The, the the little bit that I can throw in on on top of that, and thanks for the compliment as well. Cheers! I'll bung you that fifty quid yeah, in a minute. Pay me later. But def- definitely, when I would mirror that when artists speak to me about like, oh, you know, can I get some advice? I mean, firstly, I would never hold myself up as a bastion of success. But like one good example recently is. We have built a foundation uh, and whether you're a new artist out of like Sheffield or something and you just go, hey, look, we can, we've sold 50 tickets to our own show. You know, you can look at that and go, it's only 50 tickets, that's a waste of time. But it's like, hold on a minute. But like, what, you, just you? Like you just, you build mm-hmm. a community, you sell 50, can you do 100? Yeah, can you do, exactly. can you do 200? And then all of a sudden, like with you and CTK, in our example, what what did we do in uh, London? We did Islington, a thousand cat venue in London, mm-hmm. still independent. You start talking to the right people, and now we're going to play these massive festivals uh, mm-hmm. next year. And yep. and I I see the management side. It's like if there's nothing from the source of the artist, the management's like a massive amplification system for the source material. Yeah, isn't absolutely, it? and it's like yeah. if that source material isn't there don't even bother looking for a management company it's, it's just no a waste point. of time it's a, it's it's a, waste, a waste of time of, on both fronts it's a waste yeah. of everyone's time but the the cultivating soil if it's there it's like i mean i love watching what you're doing now with, with ctk mm. and, and understanding more about like what you and danny do what you do day to day which which literally brings me on to, to one of the next questions it's like you know obviously for, for artists out there when they when they work with a with a manager like you like what does a typical day for you look like what are you actually functionally doing in in a, a big management company like that i mean it's different every day which is why i love it it's not mm. like work for me this is the first time i can honestly say in my whole career from leaving school where i get up in the morning i look forward to mm. i i've never gone got up and gone oh, i've got to go to work yeah. I've, never, I've never, since I've worked with CTK and I've worked with moved to Nashville, dragged my feet with mm. getting up in the morning um, because everything's different. So, I mean, I, you know, I have multiple, you know, we all wear multiple hats in the office. You know, Danny obviously is, is the, the head honcho. It's his mm. company and he, he's managed Dolly now for 18 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, but for me, so I'll, depending on what kind of day it is, I may have some Dolly production stuff. I need to plan and put together. You know, if she's doing some press, I need to get the crew together to film it. And, and it all comes all full circle. And you've got to get the cameras in and you've got to manage the departments. So all my filming yeah. background yeah. then comes into that. Mm. I know what departments I need. I need grip, electric, mm. lights, camera, you know, mm. grips, the whole deal. And I already had all that. And so it kind of all went hand in hand. Danny had built, when I started with him, he just built two sound stages, but he didn't have anyone working for him that had any filming experience mm. and so i've managed to fill a gap there and help 
get provide that value in that front. Yeah, 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 exactly, and get that rolling. So we self-produce everything. Every time you see Dolly on TV doing a live show, uh, an interview, photographs, it's all done in house now with us, mm. and I put that together. And it's and it's so funny how important it is to pay attention because it's like you rewind back to the start of our discussion and you're like, yeah, I was on this job and I had nothing to do for two weeks. You easily could have just not absorbed mm-hmm. all of that shit. But instead, it's like, that's kind of one thing that I really took with me through through my time as well and, and took inspiration from where you're at. It's like, you have got no idea the skills that you can develop where you think, why would I bother doing that? You've got no idea the application of, of a skill base down the line. And that's, yeah. that fascinates me. It kind of sure. makes you want to realize this. You just want to learn everything all the time because who would have thought that one day you'd be building Dolly Parton sound stages? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, you never know when things you learn are going to come in use in the future. Mm. And, um, and like I said earlier, you know, you recognize people that you need to befriend. It's the same with situations you need to learn and familiarize yourself with. And now you're also trying to scout people that you can see as being competent to help you on the jobs that you well, really Well, absolutely. Yeah. You know, and, and now, especially recently, I've been kind of looking for, you know, people who will be able to help me and assist me because, mm. you know, we have so much going on, which is very exciting. So, I mean, you're saying about my day. So, obviously, Dolly is just one part of it where mm. I look after our production side of things. Um, you know, then I obviously, you know, manage you guys. And then I've got a few other, like Electra Mustaine and some mm. other people I look after. Um, and so then I jump in the rabbit holes on those so mm. with everything from you know if we're we're, we're chatting to oh, you labels. never know what we're gonna throw you never know maybe one day we're having a hissy fit about something maybe the next day we've got to i mean you get <laughs> i mean i've had some artists like that for sure but no you guys have been absolutely you know gems um but it could be anything in a, any one yeah. day you could be talking to um a festival about mm. an appearance there a brand that want you to post on instagram a picture of using their product uh talking to a publishing um uh company that will you know go out and find some money for you or whatever it is which while sounds simple is almost like a job in itself isn't it like publishing understanding or like i uh, how do you keep a juggle of all of it is it just that you just have to be good at multitasking yeah oh for sure yeah like i um i mean if you and a few people have mentioned this to me it's not me being arrogant or i'm really not trying to sound that way at all but the way i work apparently mm. you know people question like how does how is he keeping track of all this stuff going on because if say for example we have a shoot day mm-hmm. um and i'll have uh, basically i'm chief problem solver right so oh, we need this we don't have the right lens we don't have this we don't have that we you mm-hmm. know whatever this department's messed up we need to fix this problem this mm-hmm. person not turned up today I got to fix all these things at once and I could have someone in this here and someone in this here and I can't forget what this person's telling me. Mm. But if this one's more of a priority, I need to fix that first. Mm. But I can't forget about this one. So I need to make sure I come back to it and I'm not writing these things down and I, I manage somehow to file them away in my well, head. Because you can't really, it's not like you're sitting at a desk, is it? You're running around. But, you're running you know, around yeah, the studios, yeah, yeah. you know. You, I mean, you try and get jump back on your laptop as and when you can because yeah. even when I'm doing all the production stuff, I still got to make sure COVID have got the stuff they need, Electra has all the stuff she needs. Mm. Or whatever it is, I'm Keeping doing. Keeping an eye on the other artists and the other rosters as well. In Absolutely, case any, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I'll, and I'll help out. You know, we, we've we've got quite a few artists in our rosters, and you know, if the other other day to day managers need help with stuff, especially production side of things, then you know, I'm I'm there for them as well. So it's it's trying to keep your head in all these different places and not drop the ball on anything. Um, <clears throat> you know, I'll 
Siri is a big help for me. I'll mm. I'll do that a lot in the day if I need to. Mm-hmm. If like if it's you know remind me to do this at five p.m. or whatever, mm. um, I'll use that throughout the day. Um, but yeah, it's definitely one of my skills, I guess. Is, and that's something to to really think about developing if you're getting into the game. It's just like basically be good at memorizing problems and and no, no, like pro- you know proactively juggling. I wouldn't say that you can't do it if you can't memorize things, but you need to have your own system in place that you won't drop the ball. Yeah. Even if you have a notepad with you or whatever, that you never leave your side Mm -hmm. and you scribble everything down in that notepad. You need to have a system in place um, that will stop you dropping the ball because as soon as you drop the ball once, then you become unreliable. Mm. Yeah. And I've hired and fired people for that exact reason. I guess it's like when you're dealing with someone like Dolly Parton, these productions can be fortunes you've got teams of people you've got mm. record labels relying on the delivery of assets it's like mm-hmm. dropping the ball isn't like you know as far as i'm concerned it's not an option yeah it's but not- i guess what i mean by that is like maybe if i drop the ball i play a wrong chord in a show and people are like oh you, you fucked up if you drop the ball <laughs> and it's bad enough there's like a million dollars is wasted Do you, you, know what you I mean? imagine like- you imagine we do a big live production um you know whatever some special for a tv show or, yeah. or whatever and the audio guy hasn't hit record on the audio. Oh, God. Uh, this isn't something that's happened. I'm just using this as, me sweat but, just thinking about but I'm just using this as an example, though. So you've set this huge production. You've got a 10-piece band. You've got um, dancers or whatever. You've got a big backdrop. You've got all the lighting, the staging, everything you've paid for. You mm. know, at least tens and tens and tens of thousands of dollars um, for a day doing that, at least, if, mm. if not in the hundreds. And one of those people, especially one of the important people, like the sound guy or the camera guy or you know someone Lighting, wipes a hard makeup, drive like, yeah, yeah. the lights all go dark halfway through a live tv thing or whatever mm-hmm. that's it that's it it's all it's all screwed and it's all fucked now but it doesn't it doesn't give you i mean put it this way tons of people will be listening to this guy and that gives me an anxiety attack just thinking about it like it doesn't make you anxious it doesn't well, make it, you n- no because i mean i'm always on I, i'm always watching yeah, I'm always watching. As, as weird as that, freaky as that sounds, but I'll you know I will constantly be in the studio throughout the day, watching as a production's going in, keeping on everything happening, asking questions. If I'm if I'm looking at something and that doesn't seem right, mm-hmm. even if it's not, you know, I don't know. I'm nowhere near know everything. I know I hire good people, mm. and I, and that's what a good manager does. They hire good people. Um, I hire great audio guys and great lighting guys, and once you learn who they are you don't let them go mm. um you know you book them well in advance you you know you pay them well and you look after them so they want to come back and work and um you you hire a good team with people who know their speciality then mm. you just got to manage those people and make sure they're where they are and you can trust them to that they'll do their job and so i look for people with a similar mindset to me that there's no excuses the show must go on no matter what mm. that show is um, and they'll figure it out if there's an issue, if the bit of equipment's turned up broken or not turned up. Or and the, I guess the, the beauty of that is the full circle thing of every one of those times is an opportunity for someone starting out or someone trying to prove their worth to to prove their worth and be seen as someone who can solve a problem and can you know like be reliable to you. And you know this it's it's so funny how this all comes around. And there's there's a bunch of questions I'm going to try I'm going to try and get through them because uh, I know that we don't have. Um, 
too much time because me and you are going out for curry shit soon. Exactly. Aren't we? <laughs> but like, need to get another curry in before yeah, we go back to Nashville. Before we go back to Nashville. But like, I'm I'm just going to shout out to like uh, to Sapphire, Roxy, Sam, uh, Verity, Sarah, um, Tracy, and uh, everyone who's kind of joining me on this Patreon journey so far. Um, one of the one of the common questions: What's what's Dolly like? What's Dolly Parton like? Dolly is the most amazing woman and person I have ever met. Mm. She is. Everything you see about her on TV and everything you hear about her being nice and being an angel and is all true mm. and genuinely the loveliest, loveliest person. She's such a laugh to be around. She she has definitely has banter. Yeah, she's good. so smart, incredibly smart, savvy businesswoman, and so friendly and caring. You know, she remembers. It's you know, it's a lot of people think you know these bigger artists big actors may not necessarily you know remember they work with a lot of people mm, yeah, yeah no reason to remember other people's names or anything like that she remembers their names she remembers my dog's name my fiance's name you know she is asks about my family when i get to go back to england and see them you know she's just the loveliest loveliest lady she wants to make sure everyone's eating on mm. set if it's one of her sets everyone's happy um yeah just she seems Amazing. like, from everything you've said, a very hard worker, even at, even at the age and success and stage that she is now. She, she sets the bar. Really? She sets the bar. She has outworked young interns that we've had working with us. Outworked them. Like, they've had to go home to go to bed. And she's and still she's going. Still cracking it. Yeah, I mean, she's... Yeah. she's insane. I mean, absolutely sets the bar, um, incredible work ethic. And again, she's, you know, she's another example of someone who grew up from nothing, yeah. literally from nothing, a full family living in a, a one bed. And another, cabin. another example of someone where you look at their trajectory and you go, nah, it wasn't much luck. Like it was just brutal work, like ready to drop everything and just crack the whip until, until it, the job's done. Work ethic and talent. Mm. Work. If you've got both of those, you're going to fly. Mm. It is what it is. You, you know, you're going to fly. You, 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 and and I want a, a, a want to understand all the elements of your business. Mm. She is super smart. She knows what's going on all over the place. Well, one of the stories about Dolly, even before the time that you started working with her, is actually the amount of work she did to pioneer publishing collections for all of us artists. So like, people don't often realize that, like. You would. Some people would look at Dolly and make judgments about her, and she even takes a piss herself, doesn't mm-hmm, she? Mm-hmm. She was so savvy to actually kind of change the whole publishing game without going too far down the rabbit hole. She basically just changed the way it was done, mm-hmm. and it wasn't just about her. It was about her in terms of getting her royalty payments, but it changed the whole game for everyone. Mm-hmm. And you just—it's so easy to just—you uh, don't often expect the stories behind people like that. And I love—I love that you're there with her day in day out you're doing all this stuff and you can report honestly and be like yeah she is she is a legend absolute legend absolute legend i i love getting to work with her i love it when she mm. comes in the studios or into the office yeah she, she's awesome she's just she's the kindest genuinely the kindest person you're saying this just because she's made you some some eggs and tea now and again is no, that well, no. <laughs> i remember you saying Weird, no, she, weirdest thing just happened <laughs> yeah she did yeah we, we were we were shooting uh shooting a commercial for a new fragrance and you know she was offering a to make me breakfast and stuff like that. Uh, <laughs> that's so weird. Yeah, it's it, and, and it's you know that's just who she is. Yeah, she, she just wants to make sure everyone's looked after and and it's great. I mean, it's a great you know. And she does so much. I mean, and and outside of who she works with, you know, mm. she she runs Imagination Library, which mm. is her concept, which uh, supplies books every month to every kid in America under five years old. 
so they can learn to read. Uh, Imagination Library. She's given away, I think it's like 350 million books. Jesus. All free. Yeah. And they just come through the post every every month. And, um, you know, she cares. She she puts a lot of her time and a lot of her money and a lot of effort mm. into helping the world, making wanting to make the world and the country a better place. Um, you know, you, yeah, you can't fool Dolly Parton for anything. Genuinely, it's, yeah, it's, it's 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 a pleasure to be able to work with her for sure. Mate, it sounds it. You know, a question um, coming through. This is from, uh, well, Luke, Lucas Mann um, on uh, Discord. What are, you know, you've worked now across a couple of different mm-hmm. industries internationally when it comes to music. What are the key differences Ollie finds between the English and American music industries? Um, differences in English and America... Um, it's a good question. It is. I I don't know how to word this without insulting anyone on either side of things. You've got to choose a side here, mate. Answer answer carefully. What's the best way of wording this? I mean, definitely things it, in America are a lot bigger. <laughs> it does. It feels that way. It feels like you can do a lot bigger and better things in America mm. um, when you know the right people. And it almost feels like when you're dealing with high up people at american labels um american pr companies marketing companies mm. that you've gone up a level from dealing with the top in the uk mm. and it's no offense to anyone in the uk but i guess to it's be because... fair a lot of people from the uk will be going over to america well they so, do yeah, i work yeah, with yeah. plenty of brits in america yeah, yeah. i'm definitely not the only one for sure mm. Um, that's working in the music and entertainment industry over there mm. um, because everything is bigger. And so obviously in the UK, you have this small you know, amount of this small little island mm. is your world out there. It just happens to make the best music, but yeah, moving on. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't know what side I can pick for that one. Led Zeppelin, my favorite band, let's leave it at that. But, um, but whereas America, you've got a lot more people, a lot mm. bigger area. I mean, it's, you know, it's like it's... It, I mean, obviously, sound like an idiot then but you know it's as big as you i know what you mean yeah each yeah, state yeah, yeah. is its own country exactly um, we, we actually googled how many times the uk fit into texas the other day right it's like i don't know it's like three or four it's like it's yeah. huge that's one one of the 50 states it took me a day to drive across it there at are least 50, or maybe there are even in a day right? and a half when yeah. i road trips it's ridiculous um so yeah i i i definitely everything's bigger and if you can make things happen in america mm. you're making a lot more happen yeah, yeah. than doing a similar task in the uk um and people are seem to be more helpful mm. and then and i don't know if that is because the companies out there are bigger and have more income because of the size of the country therefore they have a larger area they're able to service and produce more income right mm-hmm. so they can hire more people so people have more time to dedicate more time to, to dedicate they're not as under the gun to get too much stuff done they can't fit in so they're not dropping the ball on mm. certain artists they're not prioritizing who they're looking after yeah um so they're able to help you more you know there's plenty of people i know i could call if i needed advice i needed help i needed to get you a show or whatever mm. if i need to make something happen there's a lot more people i could call in america and know i was going to get a result than doing the same thing in the uk i'd get a lot of mm, i don't know about that mm. not sure if we can maybe next year you know yeah, yeah. that definitely seems to be the response a lot and i'm and maybe i'm a bit biased because i have done the predominant 
if not all of it, you know, to be fair, and my music management has been in the US. Mm. Well, also, you, you, you shot up leagues, didn't you? So I think a lot of the work you were doing in the UK was more off the kind of entry level thrown together stuff, wasn't it? And, yeah, now, I mean, and now, you know, maybe things are a bit more. Uh... UK, you know, I mean, that's, I was tour, a tour manager and a production manager mm. in the UK in initially smaller venues, and that's where I kind of grew to learn. You know, I then started looking at, you know, obviously looked after you. And then I've grown with you. Mm. And then on top of that, I've looked after McFly as their tour manager. So I've done arenas. I did a stadium, the Cardiff Stadium mm. with those guys. Um, done a few arena tours. Um, and then Bross, obviously, yeah, yeah, of course, did, yeah. did their big O2 reunion shows yeah. that we documented and filmed for their documentary. Uh, I did Wembley Arena with, with Matt Goss. And so I did a lot here. And I, I was running in a lot of those circles, mm. but not as a uh, artist manager at that time. And then out to Vegas, I went mm. um, as a production manager. All I was meant to, I was meant to go for three months and set up this new residency at, at the Mirage um, <clears throat> for Matt Goss. And then after those few months, he decided he, he wanted me to start managing him, and and that turned into three years of living in Vegas. And that's a whole other subject for a podcast because I I mean it really is as well. We we will genuinely have to do this again. Because I know that we there's going to be several. We 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 will. We'll have we'll have to do it again. And I guess you know, as we as we look to to wrap up this kind of first episode and this this first kind of introduction to to you and your journey, you know, I know you've in a way already uh, answered this one. But like, what would be your your kind of last words in terms of what would you be telling people to focus on if they're going? Look, I, I, this guy speaks a lot of sense. I want to be a manager like him. I want to be in the game of, of looking after these big artists. What what would you be telling them to be focusing on now? If you're a total newbie, I'd be getting experience in every job underneath a manager. Every job. I would be uh, driving a van. I would be helping load in gear and push flight cases around. I would be ha- hanging over the shoulder of the audio guy and the mm. lighting guy, uh, watching them set up, you know, asking questions, seeing if you can help. Um, and I'd go up from there. And I-, I genuinely believe, no matter what your job is, that you will be so much better than anyone else in that position if you have done every other job underneath that role that naturally would lead to that role eventually. Um which I feel I've I've done a fair amount of in in every aspect, um, in, you know, in both the film and 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 the music industry. Um, I, I think it just helps you no end because when you do reach that goal of an artist manager or whatever it is you want to do, you've then got to hire those people, and now not only do you have a knowledge on what you should be paying them, how long it takes to do a certain job. You know, you can now manage that situation properly. Mm. I, you can, you know, I can have a lighting guy tell me it's going to take two days to set that rig up, and I'll go, "Well, you're full of shit," because I, I've seen it happen in six hours, mm. and you have that experience that you will only get by doing those jobs and seeing how everything works. And it's not something that's going to happen overnight. And you know, I mean, I was doing it for ten years before I joined CTK, where I feel I've. Yeah, I'm in a a really good place now and I'm very lucky and working for, like you said earlier, one of the biggest management companies in the world looking after one of, if not the biggest artists, you know, at least the most well-known household name in the world. Um, And that's because I started from the bottom and worked my way up and and, and got experience in all these different jobs. So now I I can hold my own conversation Mm. in, in any of those situations. 
And that is, that's the best way to wrap this one up because it is a case uh, and it's a great case of just knuckle down, put the work in, be good, polite to people, make your networks yep. and, and the cumulative impact of that. It's just, it's one way up. So Oliver Rowland, I think it's time for a curry. Thank you so Let's much for, for coming on to, uh, onto this episode. Let's do this again. We'll one be day, back yeah. for part two. Sounds good. All right. In a bit. Cheers. Bye.